I'm Mike Gugino. I'm Maggie Sirota. And this is Three Things. And three Things. Three Things. I'm your echo today, Mike. Three, 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 three. Uh, three. <laughs> now I'm an air horn. <laughs> Always air horn. That, that's yeah. how you can tell we are in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today we're joined by Mr. Nick Amadeus. Uh, hey, from, hey. Hey. No, you can say hey. I'm going to say it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to really lean into it this time. No, that's fine. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast. We do not penalize people for talking. We encourage it. Yeah. It would actually help us greatly if you did talk. We. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we really would. I'm going to choose my moments. I'll choose my moments. Okay. <laughs> holding, holding his cards close to the vest. I love it. <laughs> um, now, Nick, you have an interesting kind of path through um, show business, beginning when you were a child. And, you know, you were the host of your own TV show, and now you're a screenwriter. So why don't we kind of, why don't you take us a little bit of a journey through you, who you are? Yeah. Well, I think the easiest way to to frame this mm-hmm. is just to say that I'm from New York City. Yeah. And I think that puts a lot of things in perspective, which is to say that I grew up in uh, like just 1980s in New York City, Manhattan. I, I just had a lot of opportunities because people are there. Mm-hmm. So when I was 11, I started a public access show because there was kind of like a, a thing happening on Manhattan public access at that point where you know, like, I I think New York public access has always been like a haven for kind of weirdos, but at a certain point, like the secret got out in the early nineties where it's like, you can just fill out a form and they put you on TV. Yeah. And so So how old were you when, when you were doing this? I was uh, 11. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, and my buddy and I started a a show about comic books. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, it got picked up. It was, uh, we got a, a, a very official looking uh, letter that said, we want to put you on uh, big TV. And so <laughs> they did. And we were on, we were on the sci-fi channel and all over the world. And what, I, what was I, the show called? Uh, on public access, it was called Talk Comics. And that will mean uh-huh. something to about 40 people anywhere in the world. And then when it got picked up, it was called The Anti-Gravity Room. And that was on sci-fi channel for like, I think six seasons. Wow. Okay. Oh. That's I was, awesome. I, I don't want to brag right now, guys, because I know some of your viewers are just meeting me, but I want to say I was <laughs> in Canada, so famous, so famous in Canada, sides of buses, my, my face was on placemats at the Pizza Hut in Toronto. Get out, it's get out. Huge thing happened to me, but. Like when you cross the border, so like you get all the poutine you can eat, like all the, all the poutine <laughs> just comes at you. Yeah, they just and start throwing that. Syrup, you. like, you're just like, oh, I will never want for maple syrup in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I would, um, I would brag. That's braggable. I would brag yeah, about. Yeah. I'd brag about less. <laughs> yeah, I have much less. About less. I, have I was about much less. <laughs> I was literally just bragging about how I got to, my kid to eat food that I cooked. So. <laughs> I think that's very impressive. Um, now imagine that your face is on the side of a bus, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> doing that at me. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so that just uh, the the natural progression of things. I just started working in the entertainment industry, and it was like, oh well, this is what I always wanted to do anyway. And started writing. My friend and I, who I worked on the anti gravity room with, so I've known him since I was eleven. Mm-hmm. We we came up with this uh, with this idea for a movie. Mm-hmm. 
that ha- is kind of adjacent to comic books. So just as a coincidence. And that's the movie that uh, is coming to theaters. I don't know when this episode is going to be released, but it's It'll it's probably out. be out, I guess. So your movie comes out April 30th. And um, this, I imagine, will probably be out a little after. So we'll say go see your movie. The movie that's in yeah. theaters right now. In theaters Separation. right now. Thank you all for coming. If Maggie were here, she'd just tell you all to make yourselves at home. The greatest thing about Maggie was this deep love that she had for Jenny. If I'm honest, I could have been a better father. Now I've, I've got to do that. I've got, I got to be great for Jenny. How are you holding up, brother? I can't believe she's gone. Things at home have been strange. What are you doing? Baby is painting. Daddy, where do you think mommy is now? She will not. Jenny said she saw something in her room. Where do you see this? You're not supposed to tell. I missed you. This is an angry soul who's trapped in this world. I felt something up there. It's bad. Jenny? Just come up, Samantha. This is darkness. What does it want? To inflict pain. She's trying to give us a message. We must be quiet, or else we'll scare her away. Yeah. Um, separation. So you mentioned. Um... This is coming out. The, the trailer looks awesome, by the way. You've got Thank amazing. You. You, the cast is stacked. Your cast is stacked. It's stacked. crazy. You got it's Rupert crazy. Friends. You got Rupert Friends. You got Mamie Gummer. And if that wasn't enough, boom. You know, you couldn't have been happy with that. You got Brian Cox. Brian <laughs> freaking Cox. That was Hannibal. Let me let me just uh, pull back the curtain for a second yeah. and, and, and totally stop playing it cool and say, like, that was a straight up phone call that went down the, the tree of people working on this movie where it was like, we got cocks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Wow. Awesome. Uh, I, yeah, the so movie I looks really right. scary. Yeah. I, I, I watched the trailer like just after I put my daughter to bed and it was just me and my daughter alone in my apartment. And I watched this trailer, which is that pretty much that scenario, uh, only there's like extra things in the house. Yeah. <laughs> Which as far as you know, maybe there are extra things in your house. I don't want to put that in your in your brain, but it, it's all... oh, sorry. Stop, stop. No. I, I want to put it in your brain, Mike. There are all kinds of scary things in your house. Sleep well. Sleep tight, bitch. Oh man. <laughs> I'm just there's just the normal scary stuff that uh stresses me out. But uh but it looks really good. Do you wanna tell us? like maybe run through what this movie is about. It's called Separation and it's about uh, a young girl. She's seven years old, her name is Jenny. And her parents are going through a increasingly bitter divorce and custody battle. And then a tragedy strikes and that that dynamic 
changes and things get very scary. Mm -hmm. And something that I'm proud of, which probably perhaps is why it resonated with you, Mike, is that it's, mm -hmm. it's a New York movie. And so it all takes place, you know, in Brooklyn, in their, the, the family's brownstone and, um, and it's cool that the dad's a comic book artist. And I feel like I got to, I was, I was an intern at Valiant Comics for a bunch of years. And I feel like I got to like sneak in some like memories from that, that time. And it's a, it's, it's a fun ride though. And it's like, I think if you have any trauma surrounding divorce, <laughs> if you're, if you're afraid of monsters, uh, if you like good acting, it's, it's a, it's a fun movie. I'm excited to see it. Well, I remember when you said that, like, I remember when you were kind of sharing some of the news on Twitter and whatnot, and you said, like, this is kind of a personal horror movie. Can you kind of get a little bit into more of what that's about? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I've talked with different members of sort of the, the, the crew that made this, right? Mm -hmm. and, and everybody has kind of their family traumas. For me, yeah. like, when I said it was personal, it's like, I slipped in, you know, there's a line that, like, uh, legit blows my mind that I got it into the movie where I just had one of the characters uh, say like, hey, I found the the first season of Bionic 6 online. Do you want to go watch it? And just uh, maybe this is me being green, but the fact that, that that show, which I don't know if you know Bionic 6, it was like, it's a very cool like uh, um, animated show from the early 80s. The, the big thing with it was all the toys were metal. There were these little metal die cast toys. And uh, the fact that like uh, that's in my brain, that's like a very specific thing from my childhood that immediately puts me in a place. Mm -hmm. And that is now like Madeline Brewer is saying that to Rupert Friend, stuff like that <laughs> immediately. Like when, when I visited the set, like when I see things like that happen, I'll just start crying. <laughs> yeah, what was it like to, um, I mean, is this your first movie to be produced? Yeah, it's the first feature. So so what was it like being on that set for your, for, you know, your first feature and it's actually happening? Like this is not just on the page, it's coming to life. And it's coming it's, to life with people that people know. Yeah, it was cool. I'm pretty good at faking confidence. Mm -hmm. So I was able to like be like, I, I'm, I deserve to be here. Also, like I said, I, I did not introduce myself to anybody the first day. And I was just a guy staring intently at the monitor weeping. And I think people must've been like, what does this guy work here? Like what's going on? Why is he crying? And it's like, well, because she, she said that thing that my dad said to my mom when I was a kid, and, you know, like, uh, but yeah, it was, it was fun. Uh, and it's cool. Like film sets are, I, to me, they're always exciting because it, it's people really like getting kind of like in their, their hands dirty. Right. Like it's a, it's a, blue collary thing to like get get the footage done and like mm -hmm. we've got this location for another day and let's let's do it let's sink in so i i love it i always love it yeah. film sets are definitely more fun too when you are doing a project that you really believe in uh just because i do sound and i've definitely been on some film sets where i, I just want to go home <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's like when you really believe in something it's so much fun because it is kind of like you get to hang out with a bunch of people who are like all into movies all day and uh hopefully you get a bunch of cool people um, yeah which Mike, we I did gotta, i gotta interject for a second but the yeah. philly accent really came out on home oh no oh. yeah oh it was great no that is all Got <laughs> I mean, me. that's the thumbs up i want to go home <laughs> <laughs> <We can> go home. <laughs> 
Are you guys watching the, uh, the, the mayor of East town? Have you already talked about that? Oh, no. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, oh, guys. I did, everybody I know sent me an article about it because they're just like, yo, they're talking about that Philly accent or like my friends in Philly. They're, t they're talking about us. <laughs> now, the best representation of the Philly accent on screen, and it's purely, it's not intentional, but mm -hmm. the original um, Friday the 13th, um, Kevin Bacon, like right before he gets killed when he's out in the, He's out in the rain with his girl and he goes like, let's get it. And it starts raining. And he goes like, let's get in. I'm going to get soaked. We're going to get soaked. <laughs> and it is like, it's just like so startling. It just like kind of cuts through the air. Like that is the best mm. like Philly accent on screen ever. Oh, that's wonderful. I, I'm one of my hobbies is accents. Like I really am fascinated with kind of like trying to hear someone's thing and, and pinpoint where they're from. Um, and I, I gotta tell you guys, you you gotta check out the show uh, uh, Mayor of East Town because okay. it's very it's like one of those Boston movies where it's like it's very clear that this actor is from that place, and it's very clear that this actor is not. <laughs> like uh, McNulty in The Wire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the the funny I was reading about uh, uh, why actors don't do the Philly accent in movies was because. It's really hard to learn and to do right. But also when you do it, nobody knows like what the fuck you're doing. So the risk versus reward sort of setup with learning this accent is just zero. Like you, you get nowhere by learning it. When have they even tried it? I mean, there was that, uh, there was the Bradley Cooper movie, right? He, he mm -hmm. went for it. Mm, yeah. What? The, what, Silver Linings Playbook? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. Like, I know he's from the area, but I don't think they really went for the accent in the movie. Like, definitely Robert De Niro definitely didn't. Oh, no way. Yeah. I don't think Jen <laughs> did not. I don't, yeah. I don't think Jennifer Connelly did. Um, yeah. I don't remember if, if Cooper did it. It was subtle. I don't remember. I feel like I have a, like, in my brain is like, I have like a little kind of encyclopedia of when the Philly accent appears in film. The only time I've ever seen Bradley Cooper do it was on local Philadelphia television where he does a Lee's Hoagie ad. Is that true? Is that from the past or is that now? Uh, I don't know how long ago that was. I guess a couple of years ago. It was okay, like, so, so he was Bradley Cooper. Uh, yeah. All caps. Yeah. <laughs> and he did a Philly accent. It was pretty great. He did. Like, cool. entire, there was like a, a local Lee's Hoagie commercial that he did, which was pretty hilarious. Really? Because oh, really? the Philly accent, I always the template for the Philly accent is the Lee's Hoagies commercial. And it was like, you know, you know do you remember that? It was like, I don't remember was that. It like, uh, <laughs> like, we're your regular family. We watch the Phillies on TV. We go down to the Jersey Shore. <laughs> but when we want great Hoagies, discount prices on beer and a great atmosphere, we go to Lee's Hoagies in Horseshoe, PA. <laughs> Nick, like, so you like tell us a little bit more about growing up in the '80s in uh, New York. Where in the city it was? It was Upper West Side, right? I grew up in the Upper West Side, which at the, I, I talk about this a lot because um, it's was the perfect time to experience a neighborhood changing around me. Mm -hmm. And you know, like, my family was not they they were wily in that they got into this neighborhood that in the '70s was kind of rough and tumble, but like. Mm -hmm. So we were like the poor family and that became more and more apparent as mm -hmm. the neighborhood changed around us. What so did do for, what did they do for a living? So they were uh they had both been like Broadway actors 
And then uh, my mom became sort of like a administrative assistant at a certain mm-hmm. point. And my dad worked in restaurants okay. his entire life. Um, so yeah, we were like, it was just strange. Cause like when I was growing up, all of our neighbors were actors and, you know, my next door neighbor was like a guitar player. Mm-hmm. He was the guy who like taught me guitar. And then slowly, like, was it Dan Smith? Dan Smith will teach you guitar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the cool thing is you, you see that guy walking around putting up flyers. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really strange. And he looks like the guy on the floor. Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no. And and then slowly it was just like more and more bankers are in this building and like they're looking at me more and more sideways. And it's it was a strange thing, but it was cool to me because I ended up getting, you know, access to a world that by all, um, you know, financial means I should not have been able to get access right. to. Right. So like the people who were my my peers suddenly became like, you know, this famous person's kid or, you know, that mm-hmm. famous person's kid. And, um, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful that I got to grow up there at that time because it, so yeah, you're in the upper West side. So how many times did you see Alan Alda on the street? Do you think in your lifetime? <laughs> uh, I can, I remember at least three times cause he was like right by me. Like I would mm-hmm. see him on uh, outside the city diner on, on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would often think of you. I would say, I would say, if only Serata were here. So did you also go to private school? Like as a, yeah, yeah. That's gotta be, I feel like if you're ever going to become class conscious, like, I mean, he sounds like you became class conscious pretty early when you, you know, you realize you got to have these working class parents and you're in this. So then you go to private school and I imagine you become aware of those differences really fucking quickly. So here's the thing. This and this is probably the the best angle my parents ever worked. Mm-hmm. They somehow convinced me that we were not poor. We were bohemian. Oh, okay. <laughs> so so they got me into like a private school on scholarship. Mm-hmm. But the reason that like we couldn't have people over wasn't because we lived in this like messy hoarder house. Mm-hmm. It was because like we're artsy and <laughs> they wouldn't get it. <laughs> Which I guess on I guess on some level is true, but like it was also just like yeah. So I was able to not be totally aware of it. Um which I think is good. Like, I think I got to be like, all right, well, who who here do I relate to? You know, and just like make your choices. Right, right. And have that that thick privilege, baby. <laughs> I've, I've been to your apartment. Like I've been to the apartment you've grown up in on the upper right. side, and it's a really cute apartment, but I'm trying to picture it as like this. I mean, you also showed me a plaster cast of your father's penis <laughs> at, that, at that apartment. Um, but yeah, it's this really lovely, you know, this lovely apartment that I'm sure goes for an obscene amount of money now. But yeah, it's, I'm trying to picture it as like the Bohemian Hoarder headquarters or Young Nick. It's, you know, it was a, a youth full of contradictions and juxtapositions. I will certainly say that. And the, the older I get and the more like you kind of start to carve your own path, the more you realize like, you know, in retrospect, what it was. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But that was like a really creative, like kind of self mythology. Your parents came up with, like, no, they're too artistic. They won't get us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. You gotta, you gotta paint your, uh, paint your picture and tell your story. You know. Yeah, you got, you gotta like set it, set your penis in a plaster. <laughs> what is the, what was the story behind that plaster cast? I think my dad was just very proud of his penis. I mean, yeah. uh, like. <laughs> I, it's a, I'm, I, 
it's it's pretty big right like you saw it and it's yeah, like yeah. it's not unimpressive mm -hmm. and i think he just was a dude who was like let's yeah. let's get this on the record <laughs> yeah that's like you get to bag, brag about your comic book show and he gets to brag about something else <laughs> like, and here's where that star came from Boom. <laughs> <laughs> this must <laughs> 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 yeah, I just I remember it because like I think it was at like one of your ho your uh, holiday parties. And you were just, I guess you had enough to drink where you were just kind of like showing it to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and I was like I was like Nick, why? And you're like he's proud of it. I mean, I guess on some <laughs> level I'm bragging through association. Like yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like an apple tree scenario. It, yeah, like maybe somebody <laughs> would assume that, or like maybe the, maybe it's just cool that yeah. I'm, I'm friends with this guy. But either. <laughs> Either way, yeah, I was like, check this out. Um, but you know, like we, I, I'm uh, two years ago, we all, my family and I moved to Los Angeles. We got out of that apartment, and we are, we read the the freaking Marie Kondo book, and so we're very like minimalist. And we were like, we're bringing nothing. We're gonna ship three boxes of just like photos, and the rest we can restart when we get to LA. And that was one of the only things we we brought. So that's that's in my bookshelf in the next room. So how are you, you know, like you've grown up in the Upper West Side, you're a New York kid through and through, um, you know, what's like now that you're living, Los Angeles is your home, how is that transition going? So here's the thing. So I, here's the, the like piece of, uh, if I may be so bold knowledge that I have uh, come to, which is that like, a, there aren't really places, there are just like moments, right? Yeah. And so the moment that I was in, growing up in New York city, I've been like m trying to find that for a decade because New mm -hmm. York has changed so much. And, yeah. it, and, and part of the reason I moved besides just like career stuff or whatever, was like, it was so sad to like watch these, these re uh, restaurants and businesses close down and get replaced mm -hmm. by like sort of boring corporate stuff. And, and yeah. I felt more and more alienated in New York. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I feel like I have found a place in LA that gives me that feeling that mm -hmm. I wasn't even getting in New York. So, so the, the story of like the, like New Yorker in LA who doesn't fit in, I just, I'm not really experiencing that. I'm experiencing like, Oh, I found my, my place. And it's nice. Oh, that's awesome. No, yeah. very cool. LA is nice. Yeah. I, I do. I will, yeah. I mean, people rag on LA. I love it. Every time I go out there, I'm like, yeah, I could get used to this. Maybe not yeah. driving, but everything else. Sure. Yeah. And also like, I can't, I'm, uh, I've got a really weird neurotic thing about being cold. Like I just can't do it. Yeah, and so yeah. 30, whatever years of, of being like freezing for a third of the year, I just had to stop. It was a self-care choice. Yeah. That, and it's like, it's really, I mean, these things, I have to like get real about like how profoundly that affects my mood. Yeah. The cold and bad weather. It's just like, well, it's like, it leads you to like isolation, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and it's not a good thing. Like if you suffer, if you're like me and you suffer from depression, like clinical, like that, like third of the year where it's like, I just become useless. Right. And just like eat like, you know, sugar and carbs in my little, in my little trash nest. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Alone and uh, they get left on this island, a Vancouver Island, and it rains like 200 days a, out of the year there. And nope. uh, th all of them pretty much go insane. And I'm just like, oh yeah, cause you need a little sunshine. Cause they always <laughs> have like a scene during the, uh, the um, season at some point where the sun comes out and then they all like just freak out and dance around like hippies, you know, in the sun. 
So, uh, Nick, you know, the title of the show is Three Things. And, um, you know, we all get, we're all come on and we prepare to discuss whatever thing has been on our mind this week or day or what have you. So, Nick, let me ask you, what's your thing? Okay. Here's something I want to talk about with you guys. And, and Mike, you, you sort of unintentionally touched on this already when we were mm. winding up here. I want to talk about cooking. Um, because during this year, like I've always kind of cooked, right? But mm -hmm. this year I was so freaked out that I went into like ultra lockdown mode. Mm -hmm. And like, I haven't been in a grocery store in a year. Like I, I have been cooking every single meal for a year and I've gotten really into it. And like, yeah, now I watch these like YouTube uh, channels just for like fun and to calm down to like watch people cook. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really messing with my sense of self a little bit because I'm sort of coming to that point where I either have to like get better at eating or stop learning how to cook. Like, cause just my taste is not matching what my like skill aspirations are. Does that make sense? Like, um, like your pal, like you, like you need to broaden the things that you like to eat or the things that you can taste. Do you yeah. 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 Like I, like I'm sliding into becoming one of these people that I don't really uh, think are cool. Like I'm sliding into like becoming like nerdy about food and I don't want to do that. But at the same time, I really enjoy the process of doing it. I mean, I think there's two like to use, I guess maybe comic books as a, as a, example go like, on well there's like <laughs> i'm listening there's like <laughs> two kinds of people like you've probably met where they're like the super nerdy comic-con person who's just like uh you know eats breathes and shits comics uh, and then there is like the person who just likes all the marvel movies or like your friends are just like cool the new batman movie's coming out so I think like you can appreciate it on both levels to be to be like, I don't need to like live in the world of like these chefs because it is like it's super intense. <laughs> like, yeah. Because I, 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 um, I worked at Bon Appetit for the while a while and there's like a weird like competitiveness. Everybody's just like trying to like find this thing, this magic taste, the amuami, you know, like more salt. It's always like some new trend and it's like you can't keep up with it. But I think like knowing how to cook and just getting better at it and like just for your own satisfaction is fun and kind of zen. And I don't know, like I find it like helps quiet my brain when I cook and I kind of look at it for it that way. Where it's like I do this process and it comes out different every time, even though I feel like I'm doing the same thing. Like I enjoy that. It's like, I don't know. Like I feel yeah. like you can try to taste new things in your own food and just, I don't know. Like you don't need to compete with these people. <laughs> They're insane. I love a lot. I love and work with a lot of these people, but it's like, I can't like, sometimes yeah. I have to step away, you know? Mm -hmm. Have you picked anything up from being around that, that world? Oh, oh yeah. Like a lot. Um, uh, just like weird little things about like salting while you cook or, um, and I got really good at cooking stir fries. Cause at Bon Appetit, they cooked a lot of stir fries. And oh, I was like, test, oh, in your test kitchen, or? yeah. So you're just like, oh, that's a, like a little tricky that you do, like the um, cornstarch in the water thing that I never yeah. really thought of, but it, now I do it in like every stir fry I do, and it's like amazing. Well, Nick, how do you kind of like, you know, marry that like kind of culinary aspiration at the back? And you have two daughters, and you got like two young kids. Yeah. So when you're, you're, so I imagine you cook a lot for your kids. 
You'd be wrong. Yeah. Oh, I'm wrong. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> they no, don't. I get that. I get that. <laughs> yeah. They're not. They are not interested in anything I have to offer in the kitchen. They like. Wow. They, and like, I shouldn't complain because like they mostly just want to eat fruit. But like they're, uh, they like I I've tried all the things and I've I've they just don't want it. They want fruit and bread and very basic and. I've, I've read books about it. I've read blogs about it. And like, I think I've settled on the like Anthony Bourdain approach, which is just like his thing was like reverse psychology and just being like, Oh no, this is grown up food. You wouldn't like it. And then eventually maybe they'll want to try it, but like you have to just get off their back. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. See, when you first said I'd be wrong, I just imagined you like cooking elaborate meals and sitting down and just eating in front of them. And then telling say, you can't have this. (laughs) Like, yeah, don't touch the baked Alaska yet. It's still on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what do you cook? You said you cooked for, for your kid. What, what do you, what, uh, what are they into? Oh, uh, um, mostly I just cook what I would normally cook. And then I just don't make it as spicy. So like tonight I made um, chicken tinga with like an avocado sauce on, on the taco. Yeah. Uh, and then I just made uh, uh, refried beans and, um, she like for some reason i thought she would love the refried beans but she loved the taco and the chicken which was like <laughs> didn't make any sense but it was like it made it like i was thinking I was like oh she likes chicken so maybe it's like salty yummy chicken to her whatever i, I like it doesn't make any sense like she was just like i like this and, uh, and the tortilla of course mm-hmm. yeah um well, i mean nick i think one of my main memories of hanging out with you is around food because like the first couple of times I think we hung out was when you invited me on your old podcast breakfast quest. Right. right. So yeah. I can't like think about hanging out with you about thinking about eating cereal of you and, and your co-host Lars Castine. Yeah. I mean like, and I think that, that podcast that I did with Lars was such a good, like sort of encapsulation of my philosophy of a lot of things. Right. Which is like, just like not being afraid to say you like something that's like, mm-hmm lowbrow right yeah so like let's let's watch uh, a point break and let's eat some crummy cereal and not be ironic about the fact that we're enjoying these things yeah yeah um but that's kind of the wall that i'm hitting with this this food right it's like mm-hmm. i i just want to eat in diners like that's yeah. what my body <laughs> tells me to do mm-hmm. um but there's only so much you can express yourself culinarylistically through that mm-hmm. or whatever right right well, like I a mean, big menu Greek diner from in like Jersey or something. Yeah, with like that's the, a good point. I could get into that like phyllo dough world. Oh yeah, that's yeah. A good, that's a good angle. I think for me, since lockdown, something I've been craving is like the diner experience of um, like kind of throwing my you know like putting a book in my bag or like being prepared to like just read the paper or something, going up to the diner counter and ordering like a stack of really buttery pancakes and coffee and then just chilling out, like reading whatever I'm reading. Yeah. You know, and just taking all the time in the world and like re- getting my coffee refilled. And ever since we've been kind of confined to our homes, I've just been craving that experience. Oh yeah. It's the, it's the best. Yeah. Oh man, I, I wish we could do that right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as soon as we can, we should just record the podcast doing that. I, I mean, yeah. as soon as we can. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mike, you and I are from, Jer- you know, from Jersey. Like how, what percentage of our lives do you think, would you estimate we have probably spent in diners? Um, I, there's a good percentage. It's like, yeah. I'm, 
hovering around 70 already just in my brain yeah it's like we have to make like <laughs> like a pie chart of our lives like a big sliver for like you know like the sliver for denny's the sliver for diners like yeah. <laughs> different spots different punk kids would be there yeah 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 what's what's the spot in jersey is it it's not like white manna right like that's that's too uh, much what is yeah, it I, uh I remember like when I like Crystal Lake Diner, like in Haddon Township was a big one because I was dating this like inappropriately older guy when I was in high school <laughs> and we would hang out there. Um, and then um, uh, Olga's on the east side of Cherry Hill, which is gone. But that was just like a classic Jersey diner. That was like where the cool straight edge kids hung out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like and it's kind of funny and you kind of see this like this like pizza hut or Wawa effect where it's like when you can tell when the diner closes down and then the, the building gets repurposed into some other business. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, Oh, that was definitely a diner. <laughs> yeah. Like which it is, is now a commercial real estate office, but it is definitely. <laughs> which is amazing that Denny's isn't there anymore. Just like every, every place we used to hang out is gone. Yeah. Yeah. Time marches on bitches. Kind of like <laughs> what you were talking about. Yes. Like, in, yeah. In New York. It's hard. It's a hard, it's a, it's a hard pill to swallow and you just gotta, I don't know, you gotta keep moving or something or find it inside know. yourself or I don't know what it is. Find, find the, um, the little indie bookstore in your soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little, little, uh, indie comic bookstore in your, right in your heart. <laughs> yeah. The tower records that's it's still open. Well, I think also part of it was like when you lose those kind of places, like you also lose like the kind of local weirdos that ran the places. <laughs> I looked a lot of those guys up on Facebook. I mean, oh, yeah. and, and maybe that's like a trying to hold on to the past thing that I shouldn't have done. But mm -hmm. so far I've had good luck. Like the, the dudes who like uh, kicked my ass when I was 12 and let me work in the local comic book store. Like I found them online and they're like, you know, they're the same. And they're still like very supportive and mm -hmm. very willing to to call me a nerd and it's mm -hmm. a nice it's a nice flashback they're out there oh yeah well, like so this is like a figurative ass kicking not a literal one uh, uh let's say mostly like emotional abuse uh, okay yeah i was gonna <laughs> yeah. say like which adults were like like beating you as like, <laughs> 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 they were like ha hazing you as your yeah uh... <laughs> the mean streets of upper west side new york yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I found some skateboarders that used to pick on me back in uh, high school on Facebook. It was. Did, uh, did you friend them or do you just spy on them and be like, yeah, I thought so? I think when I was first on Facebook, I would just friend everyone. And yeah. then I realized, then I kind of figured out how it worked a little more. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did that. I did that and like I something I've kind of interesting phenomenon I've I've experienced on Facebook, you know, like 20 years later or however many years later after high school um, is like what girls who were never, ever nice to me back in the day now messaging me to come join their like their pyramid <laughs> scheme, whatever pyramid scheme they're part of now. Mm. So I think it was like the pampered chef where they wanted me to like, like, I guess, like watch their pampered chef party on like Zoom and then buy a bunch of kitchen products, which like, have you met me? No. <laughs> <laughs> and then a while ago, it was like skincare products. But yeah, that's been a really interesting development. The uh, person who was never acknowledged your existence asking you to buy like their like Mary Kay. <laughs> that's rough. But there, there's some level on which that's satisfying, right? Like, I mean, it's mostly sad, but it's like, like, are you 
you okay you you were walking this path i was walking this path yeah like that this is the end point of yours you know <laughs> like asking people you were never nice to to buy like to get involved in it in a multi-level marketing scheme yeah <laughs> <laughs> well they might be like i was popular so everybody liked me right <laughs> <laughs> Yes, everybody liked you. That's how social media works, right? Yeah. <laughs> but then I have another experience where someone I never talked to, like, help, went out of her way to help me get a vaccination appointment. That's, <laughs> That's awesome. Great. Yeah, it was good. she's lovely. I mean, there are people on Facebook I never talked to back then. I talk to all the time now, and they're lovely people, you know, helping me stay alive. Thank you, Jamie. Shout out to Jamie. And uh, Right on. And then other people who are like, hey, please join my scam. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of there are a lot of scams. <laughs> a lot of scams out there. <laughs> yeah, you just gotta find the good one. Yeah. 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 But by the way, I have something, you know, I've got a great business opportunity for both of you. I'll talk to you about it off mic. But um, you know. The creams. We always talk about the creams. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm seeing some great return. I'm seeing some stupid yeah. returns, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you like shaving no but i'll make you like shaving here you go i got some i got some creams they're great yeah it's like yeah like, like do you like shaving mike's like look at my face no do you, have you met me yeah i need a filter maybe the uh like an instagram filter like you've got like a nice little like henry cable like um <laughs> like square jawline it's like hanging nick nick amadeus thank you so much for coming on where can people find you uh, you know what? Go find me on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash Nick Amadeus. That's, I actually checked that. So you can come bother me there. Wonderful. I'm going to bother you. I bother you there every day. I encourage <laughs> everyone else to do yes. the same. <laughs> Thank you guys. This was fun. Yeah. It's almost Thanks, like we're Nick. hanging out. Yeah. Soon enough. Well, I get my next appointment. Thank you, Jamie, on Monday. Um, I want to, I want to see your movie. How can I, is it coming out in theaters and, or will I be able in to? In theaters, April 30th, and then we'll we'll be streaming, I think, a month and a half after that. But go see it in the theater. It's it's fun. I would love to. All right, I hope yeah. it's still in the theater, because like, I've I got to wait that two weeks um, after I get my shot. I hope it's still in the theater. I think it will be. Okay, awesome, awesome. I'll be so excited to see your name. Like, it's kind of like when I saw Carter Logan's name oh, yeah. um, on um stuff, like when I went to go see that last Jim Jarmusch movie. I was like, oh, I know that guy. <laughs> then I saw your brother. It's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, my brother, the zombie movement consultant. <laughs> greatest title. <laughs> he holds that above me. He's like, I was in the New Yorker. Because <laughs> they were like, they were like, what the hell is a zombie movement consultant? As close as we can be. Family. A family brought together by faith and given superpowers through the miracle of modern science. So, why don't, why don't you ask me, Maggie? <laughs> Mike, what's your thing? What's your thing this week? Well, uh, I don't have like a terribly deep thing. I just have like a, something that I like. Uh, and that's, All right. 
And that's the show that is on Apple TV called For All Mankind. Oh, I've been hearing a lot about that. I have not seen it yet. So, my um, my uh, experience with Apple TV shows, I think, kind of begins and ends with Ted Lasso. Which is great. I watched that, uh, basically binge that. It's like a nice little <laughs> shot of like serotonin yeah. uh, for a lot of like dark, yeah. dark shows. What I like about Ted Lasso is that... Um, it's a it's a show that has a main character that is a good person, mm-hmm. not just a horrible person who wants to like. It's not like Ozark or mm-hmm. or Breaking Bad. Like you're not rooting for somebody who's just awful. Like you're genuinely you're like, oh, this guy is just like a good person, and he makes people better around him, and that's yeah, the show. Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're experiencing antihero fatigue, is what I'm what I'm gathering. I think yeah. so. When it's done a little, I mean, I do like a lot of that stuff, but it's like, sometimes it's just a little bit too much. Yeah. It's not what we need right now. Let's just say. Gotcha. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's definitely nice for this time. Um, I'm a big fan of Roy Kent, the guy, the older. uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. He is hilarious. Yeah. He is the love of my life. Yes. I ship him. (laughs) And what was her name? The Juno Temple's character. Uh, um, crap. It's I'd never remember any characters' names. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yes, I hope um, they have a million babies together. Oh, any- yeah, I'm rooting for that. So tell me about For All Mankind, because I have not seen it, but I have seen a lot of chatter on my timeline about so, it. So I'm, I'm like a big Ronald D. Moore fan. Uh, I don't know who that is, so I'm going to learn a lot today. So Ronald D. Moore, uh, uh, my wife told me today, which I didn't know, was, uh, I think, think the director or creator or something of star trek deep space nine had no clue uh it's not one of the worst star treks so he had a pretty good start uh but he's most known for doing battlestar galactica the reboot which oh, is oh you love battlestar galacta it's incredible it's fracking incredible that mm. <laughs> i get a little <laughs> nerdy there but uh he, he did oh he did outlander too Okay. Okay. That's a nice, a good one for all the horny ladies out there. Shout out. <laughs> Shout out to all the horned up ladies. We would definitely watch that on date night. Cause oh, hell yeah. Like, yeah. It's a weird horny time travel show. Uh, you know, that's, mm. I think I just described all of it there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the plot. <laughs> she goes back in time and gets horny. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but this, this show is really cool. Uh, it, it's a, an alternate history of the space program. Okay. So, oh man, you know, I almost don't want to describe what hap- what it is because I didn't know when I first watched it and it was oh, yeah? so cool, but it is right in the description of the show. So I, I will just spill the beans. Uh, <laughs> it's basically imagines that the Russians landed first on the moon. Um, okay. And then sort of all of the timeline that happens after that. Um, so it's like we're, we're, you know, the premise is what if the Russians uh, won the space race? Yeah. But okay. uh, or, uh, yeah, like or just got to the moon first and then how the space race just continues on through, I think, the second season goes to the 90s. Like wow, the okay. 90s. Interesting. Uh, and it follows different astronauts and their uh, like different generations of astronauts. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just like really cool. It's really good in that Battlestar Galactica way where it's um, 
sort of deals with impossible situations and huge tragedy and just like intense moments, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, with the backdrop of the Cold War. Um, and it's just really good. The the We watched the first two seasons and um, I, I just feel like the show needs to get more love. Like people should watch it. Do you think because it's on Apple Plus maybe and it just seems like a like a kind of platform no one knows how to use is that kind of do you think that's kind of hobbling it a little well i guess i kind of got suckered into it because right now <laughs> we're <laughs> where we're living uh we're, we're living in a sublet and they have apple tv so oh, okay uh, i just i well i did sign up for it because they had it and i ended up watching this right <laughs> but it was like i felt like it was worth okay. it for this and ted lasso like both of those were are, are really incredible shows and is there anyone i would know in the show or anyone i should know um again i'm really bad with characters names and actors but okay <laughs> pr- a bunch of character actors you would know well there's the guy do you know that show okay. the, this is how I, d- I describe who the characters are do you know that show the killing okay. that was on for a long time that danish actor tall yes. skinny guy yes he is one of the main characters oh he's, i love that guy yeah he's okay great. cool Joel, Joel, Joel Kinnaman. Yes, Joel Kinnaman. Yeah. Uh, and then there's another... I happen to be great with names, so I'm... <laughs> there's another character who looks like our friend Ed Berger. Oh, yeah? <laughs> named, <laughs> his name is Gordo. I remember him. And okay. he's one of the greatest characters in the show. Okay, uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sitting there like, oh, there's that guy, that motherfucker, that guy over there, her. It's like Oh, that. yeah, her. <laughs> there's also the old guy, the old bald guy... Um, with the with the sort of gravelly voice, so I was like, "Hey, man!" Like, in it. <laughs> I, I, like, I'm just gonna watch this just so I can see. Like, that sounds like is that Ed Harris? Maybe like is that? <laughs> no, he kind of, he's the other guy who kind of looks like the dad from that '70s show. <laughs> okay, so not um, Kurt. Wait, uh, Kirk. Uh, shit. Yeah, but Kirk. you know who I'm talking about. The other guy. Yeah, he's I know the character exactly actor. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm just gonna good. start watching this just to be like, all right, who who might describe this guy as the gravelly voice bald guy? Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> like that's gonna be my whole experience watching for all mankind. <laughs> this is the way I watch television too. It's amazing. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the guy <laughs> who looks like the dad from that '70s show. He's in everything. I recognize him. Oh, <laughs> people I've seen before. Oh, like when you're watching Law and Order or something, and they have like a special guest oh yeah 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 it's like kevin smith is uh unloading a beer truck and <laughs> yeah i don't know i guess i've seen him but you never you know he's always with a different woman but there is one lady like <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I, but i just want to like say check out the show it's worth it mm-hmm. um it's really good uh and, and it, in a weird way it deals with like American issues in an interesting way. Oh, it's tell. fictional. Uh, just about like patriotism, like uh, the Cold War of like mm-hmm. who's good and bad. And it, it kind of like, like exists in this awesome gray area that a lot of his shows do, like the way Battlestar Galactica does. Okay. Um, it exists in this gray area where none of the characters are all good or all bad. And um they just are reacting to these like incredible situations. Like just the, the space stuff that happens in this is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But yeah, I would recommend. That's basically my thing. I mean, well, that kind of ties into a show I'm watching now. I'm watching Deutschland '89. Oh, um, I, I watched the first. Was '83? Is the first 83, season? '83. Yes. It's so good. I haven't watched '89 yet, though. Oh, it's great. Yeah. So, um, so I'm gonna watch that afterwards. But yeah, it's kind of the same thing. The Cold War. Who's good or bad? Like. Yeah, just no. kind of like showing people lost in this strange world that what's like, what's the difference between patriotism and jangoism um yeah yeah, yeah. um uh, the first season is really good of that show um which is if you also our listeners should watch that show which is about a kid from east germany who ends up like going to west germany to spy and then sort of like all the things that happened to him there yeah and he ends up like well i guess i shouldn't spoil but um so he but he kind of gets recruited by his aunt who's an intelligence officer but against his mm-hmm. will where she's having he's having tea with her and um the, the spy that they initially recruited for this mission um was killed was assassinated so they um so she recruits him but he doesn't know he's being recruited he just thinks he's having tea with his aunt then he you know like he drinks his tea he's feeling funny then he wakes up in west you know like west germany yes <laughs> Oh, yes. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen it, but the first yeah. episode I was like, I'm in any, yeah. any, any sort of weird, uh, especially like foreign shows I find yeah, like to be like, uh, there's a lot of really good German shows like uh, yeah. Dark was really good. Uh, Babylon Berlin was really good, um, which are just strange and interesting, weird shows. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe because of. Uh, it's just a different culture, but they like sort of are familiar. Like it, they're like vaguely familiar themes, you know, like mm-hmm. when you watch a foreign show where. Yeah. Well, yeah. My, my roommate is um my roommate is getting her graduate degree in French at the moment. And she watches a lot of French language shows mm-hmm. and um, one, one which called spiral, which is basically like the um dark, you know, it's a dark gritty cop show. Um, it's basically like the French like wire. <laughs> oh, that's and it's kind of interesting how like these trips yeah like how these trips can kind of play out like across cultures like these the tropes of like cop shows and like no one's really good or bad or there know. was uh that reminds me there was a show i think it's russian but uh my friend told me about which was uh, it's, it's called the sniffer i want to say mm-hmm. and it's like about a cop who has like a really intense sense of smell and he uses okay. it to solve mysteries okay but he's also like really cool and sexy too that <laughs> kind of sounds like i remember there was a cop show like 10 years maybe 10 years ago maybe longer my sense of time is just obliterated but um there was a cop show i remember like like a network cop show here and the per- the guy was blind the detective was blind but he was yeah still- like he used all his other sentences to solve the crimes what so was that is- show oh i if you, forget if you are listening to this and you know what sh- the blind cop show is please yeah. and please let us know like, and it's also like one of those like smartest man in the room shows where you know like where they <laughs> like it's like especially like of shows about like a quote-unquote profiler where they just walk into the room and see like he has father issues and they see all the clues that no one saw and you're like come on that's what the sniffer was like (laughs) where he walks in and it's animated kind of like um the that new the benedict cumberbach sherlock holmes show yeah he goes into a room and he kind of goes and then 
all these little things come up it's like he was seven feet tall he he didn't like his wife he you know he oh, wore yeah. a brown shirt yeah. uh, <laughs> like all the things he's thinking well i just yeah it's just like take a big whiff of justice my dude <laughs> <laughs> but then he like drove a cool car and was like sexy too he was and there's like oh sniffer you know <laughs> <laughs> the unending sex appeal of this man's powerful nose <laughs> it was like very like russian eastern european yeah i mean that's like kind of drives me crazy about cop shows and i think it's something that the movie richard jewell kind of touched on Mm-hmm. But it's just like how much of this is kind of junk science, like profiling, mm-hmm. like how much of that is just kind of made up bullshit. Oh, yeah. Well, like the whole thing about um, the 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 myth of like serial catcher or uh, serial killers being super smart and like yeah. methodical where it's just like mostly they're just really hard to catch and cops aren't good at catching them. Yeah, well, it's because I mean, some of it's just like, I mean, murder victims are usually murdered by someone they know right so that makes it a lot easier to catch them where it's like when you're not this is someone where it's just like not in your orbit who is it yeah you know where it doesn't make sense why is a stranger killer you know like well i think that probably makes this person a lot harder to catch oh yeah established relationships or because it's random like it's just it doesn't make any sense yeah but most serial killers are not like have like the map on the wall and like are doing i'm doing this as a ritual for the whatever (laughs) like you'll never catch me yeah there's not they're not like francis dollarhide and they're great becoming calling the police like i am the captain you are the mouse (laughs) you know all sorts of serial killer riddles that they portray them it's just like no they're just psychopaths who kill people and you wouldn't know that and and to see them or something or Richard Ramirez, you probably would. You'd be like, that guy kills people. Yeah. You're like, whoa. <laughs> Just like, you're not getting a regular job. You are up to something. You are. You're doing some shit, man. Just like filthy, covered in blood. Like he lives in like a weird hotel. <laughs> yeah. Like the, I think he like also like his teeth were just like falling apart because like he was yeah didn't didn't brush i'm sure he, that uh, dental hygiene was not high on his list of yeah things to do <laughs> that, that was kind of an afterthought <laughs> oh <laughs> man like, i gotta draw a pentagram on my palm first and then whatever happens happens oh we did that i do you know that ghost adventures did the cecil hotel where he lived the thing i associate with the cecil hotel is just the woman who was found like the the, like the creepy elevator. Um, oh, Elisa Lamb, the, the that's a yeah, the woman who was touring or on 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 vacation. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So we did an episode about her, and then we also did an episode just about like people in the all the things that have happened in that hotel. And it's mm-hmm. insane. There was like not only did Richard Ramirez live there, but there was like another serial killer who who lived there who was like emulating him in the nineties. Really? Uh, what was his name? Do you uh, remember? Shit. I do not remember. I should probably Google it. That's no. okay. No, I, I won't. I won't Google it. That a goes, scary dude lived in the hotel. So he was a serial killer who went to jail for murder uh, from some Eastern European country. And then the cops, mm. for some reason, hired him as a consultant in L.A. to help them solve crimes is that uh, like where this trope of like to understand a serial killer you have to understand how they think you must get into the mind like all that trope of but he didn't he didn't help them he just kept serial killing 
<laughs> it's just like, what do you guys think what's going to happen? <laughs> it's like when you hire Hannibal for stuff. It's like, promise you won't eat anybody this time. You know? <laughs> It's like, he's not gonna, you're not gonna stop. Come on, Hannibal, we're trusting you. Come on. <laughs> you promised. It's like, <laughs> like mouthful of like a he's got, Yeah, he's got, he's got like a femur. Like he's like just eating meat off a femur. Just being like, you. But I was really hungry, you guys. <laughs> Well, this is a good segue, Maggie. Yeah. We're talking about psychopaths. (laughs) (laughs) This is a great segue. Yes. What is your thing? So my thing this week, I've been thinking a lot about the Scott Rudin story. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is thing, it's it's hard to call it an open secret because it seems like it was like something, it wasn't even a secret. Like there have been articles written on his behavior before, like 20 years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I think I, I remember hearing something about that just being but in it like, seems the like there's a film sh- business. But it seems like with that when the Hollywood recent Hollywood Reporter story came out, like I don't know what it is, like a shift in the culture or a generational shift where people are just saying, like correctly saying it's not okay to treat people like this. We everyone collectively went, Oh yeah, yeah we forgot about why. you. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you thought you were going to get away. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess because I guess when Me Too started, the abuse, it was just centered about sexual abuse and like not just like just, the, you know, like garden variety, just I'm just going to terrorize you everyday abuse that um, maybe, he put his assistance through. Maybe it has to do something with that, like when Weinstein finally like went down. Yeah. That it gave a little bit of like put a little wind in the sails of people who wanted to do something about this. Right. You know, where I think those people, I mean, even just like, you know, we talked about catch and kill, like even is that, that was the Ronan Farrow book, right? Yes. Um, It's like, these people are really powerful. And I think Mm -hmm. one of them needed to fall before things could really move forward because like yeah. a lot of people are so scared of these people because of what they could do to them right and they were also vindictive people um but mm-hmm. weinstein and scott rudin would wouldn't think twice about like lying about you or just saying you're crazy or and just ending your you know just taking away your whole livelihood um i mean it's interesting the way i mean i don't know what you kind of know about it but like it's just like he well just, like I can't remember a lot. So do you want to, do you want to like, I mean, he would cycle through like, no one really seemed to last very long. So his assistants, um, like he would cycle through them very quickly. He would fire them for like mispronouncing a name. Like he would push people out of cars for either mispronouncing someone's name, not being able, you know, like not being able to sync an appointment to his phone, just like tiny mistakes. That's like, I mean, this is like, you know, it's a fast paced hard, office it's hard enough when like your boss isn't like a, a tyrant yeah but um it just seemed like what kind of struck me with statism like it seems like he really enjoys exercising this power and like, just like subjecting his assistants to pain 
and just misery and just relentless torture. Like, it's really, really just scary. I think the big, like, the big incriminating incident in a new round of reporting was, like, him smashing a, commu- a computer monitor on an assistant's hand. Jesus. And then, like, the, the person having, having to go to the hospital. Like, fracturing his hand and then the, the kid having to go to the hospital. And these are, like, kids, like, out of school. Like, That's... Uh... I mean, I don't know. You should not have to work in an environment like that, no matter what industry you're in. Right. And it's just kind of like this. I mean, I think like I've worked in an office like this um, when I was a temp in a completely different industry. But it seems like when you get to a certain level, it's like almost expected that the person you're going to work for is just like once they've amassed a certain amount of power and like influence, like the person you're going to work for is going like your job is just to cater to every whim and it doesn't matter what they are. Yeah. You know, and it's and it just seems like that's like across the board, like the expectation once you transcend like a certain like up to the C suite. Uh and it's just so, so I mean, like you know how hard it is to kind of do a certain do a demanding job and then it becomes even harder when someone's screaming at you all the time. You know what well, I mean? Like it's, you're just gonna screw up. Like if you're I'm yelling nervous all the time, I'm just gonna screw up. So no one's like around even long enough to do their job well because like they're just working in a pressure cooker. Yeah. And it's like that sort of cycle of abuse. That's hard to break where Mm -hmm. you, it's like you haze somebody and then you get to be the person that hazes somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I also think there's like a badge of honor, probably a badge of honor that goes in this industry of like, Hey, I survived that guy. Like I'm like, this is the hazing and this is like the price you pay to break into this elite industry. And then right. Like almost how a, a, people in the like Marines talk about their drill sergeant or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like he yeah. was a ball buster, but like, um, you know, look at me now. Yeah. I'm a top. Yeah. So I wanted to read this part. Um, so Hollywood reporter, um, Hollywood reporter, uh, report reporter, uh, Kim masters, <laughs> um, wrote an article, um, about why so much of the industry is like reticent to kind of speak out about him. Mm-hmm. And also, like, she kind of senses that there's, like, a a waiting period that these people are just kind of waiting until he becomes, like, less radioactive so they mm-hmm. can work with them again. And so these were kind of, so the executives and the kind of industry insiders speaking to her on background kind of gave these arguments um, as to why this should not end Scott Rudin's career. So one was, I'm not condoning the behavior, but it's hardly news that Rudin is a horrendous bully. And if he worked for him, it's on you. Wow. And here's another one. I'm not condoning it, but there are very few people with his level of taste and access to material. Wow. Okay. I'm not (laughs) condoning it, but he trained a lot of people who went on to have successful careers, which is true. He did, but Jesus, at what cost? Um, Then the other one was, what are we going to do? Cancel everyone? (laughs) Well, I mean, maybe the guy who broke his assistant's hand with his uh, computer, maybe we cancel right. him. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe that's okay. <laughs> like some of it, I just wonder like if people more of the industry isn't speaking up because then they're kind of opening themselves up to um, have their abuse exposed. I think so. I, I yeah. Uh, I think in a lot of media, it's definitely mm-hmm. that way. Like look at the, um, look at the, do you know about the Reply All podcast that was about Bon Appetit that came out? 
Yeah, vaguely. I mean, I'm not really ensconced in like the nitty gritty of what that drama was or what that situation was. Well, I, I mean, I will say I, I used to work at Bon Appetit, so I won't really okay. talk too much about what what, they, what that situation. Everybody knows about it at this point. Yeah. Um, but what happened was the Reply All did a um, podcast about what happened mm-hmm. there and about the culture there. And right. what ended up happening was somebody who worked there who was sh- trying to start a union uh, started talking about the woman who did the podcast who turned out was actually busting the union there. Whoa. And it just sort of blew up in their face. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then they only had two episodes of the podcast actually come out. Um, and, and I just think it's like, if you want to talk about this kind of stuff, it's like, you need to make sure that you are also not guilty of the same thing. And I think a lot of media is, it, you know, they have like unpaid interns. There's probably like issues with uh, pay and stuff, uh, you know, issues with diversity, all these things like they are probably guilty of. Yeah. That they don't want to show to the world, but it's like throughout a lot of media. Like yeah. I'm freelance, so I don't really experience a lot of it, but you know, people who work in offices uh, at these companies do complain about like, it's not just yeah. whatever uh bon appetit or whatever, or it's not just reply all as soon as they start, you shine the light on it. It's just like everybody's bad behavior comes out, you know? Well, also that sometimes there are just these kind of really flashpoints too. Like for example, mm-hmm. like when like a lot of, com- you know, brands started like taking publics, you know, making their support of black lives matter public you know like on their social or whatever after you know after the george floyd you know the george floyd murder like they really opened themselves up to like the exposure of how much racism they were perpetuating in their own workplaces right yeah and it's like i I hope it's rightfully so they should be aired totally aired out for that (laughs) absolutely aired out for that but yeah well if you're gonna try to make money off of something like pride or black lives matter yeah it's like you better make sure that you're actually living what you're preaching mm-hmm. because it is a it's like it, it, it's a tough balance to maintain because the working world isn't always set up with the way activists want the world to be i mean i think it's just yeah it's just plain and simple it's like the you know the, it, you know, the heads of Black Lives Matter, I'm sure, probably don't see eye to eye with like the CEOs of whatever company, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, what uh, uh, Nike or whoever is using, you know, slogans like theirs or something, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, like putting like, yeah, it was just, um, or just like, I remember when Lee Michelle, like, like posted it in solidarity with George Floor and she really, op- you know, and then like, I mean, it was kind of an interesting flashpoint where it's like, and I'm really glad it happened where people were called out. Yeah. And and they should be, you know? Yeah. Because I I think um, the way the culture goes, it's always like you do want to go with the tide of where the culture is going and be relevant. And Mm -hmm. that's sort of like also what makes you a good business person. But the problem is Mm -hmm. the goal of business is to make profit. The goal of business mm-hmm. is to in- increase productivity and reduce freedom, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Well, so. you can take that a step further and just say capitalism is predicated on sowing division and inequality. Yeah. 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 Unless it, it, or 
it wants to make money off of equality if that's going to happen, you know, right. <laughs> like if the that's the way you're going, capitalism. we want in. Yeah. <laughs> like how can we make money off of social justice without actually investing in social justice or yeah. 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 The, that kind of cynicism. Yeah. It's like the, we'll do kind of social justice. We'll do, we'll, we'll like, I don't know. We'll get, we'll have like pizza day at, in the office. <laughs> yeah. You can, yeah, but you know, I, everybody likes pizza. Yeah. Yeah. But like back to, so back to this Rudin story, it's just like crazy yeah. to me that like, like these people and these like kind of horrible personalities were kind of talked about with kind of such reverence of like, Ooh, he's kind of a psycho, but <laughs> mm -hmm. it's almost just like, like Ridley Scott torturing basically the cast of aliens to get a good movie. It's like, how can, but I just like wonder about like, how can like culture, like culture has for some reason married this notion of genius and tyrant. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you don't, these aren't like, you know, like they're not this, they're not, one doesn't exist about the other. You can treat people well and make incredible art. I, I think. I 100% agree with that. I also, you don't need to, or or just because it's like a really good movie, like there's no correlation that because this person was crazy, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Like he just is crazy and made this amazing movie. And yeah. I don't think we can truly know that if that movie is so good because he was crazy or whatever. Well, you know? yeah, it's like The Shining, like, you know, I think that still could have been a great movie. I don't believe Stanley Kubrick needed to bully and abuse <laughs> Shelley Winters to the point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, to the point that he did or at all for that matter. And it's like my my proof of that theory is that plenty of people have made incredible films. Uh, plenty of people have made incredible films and also been nice people. And oh, do you want to name any 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 names? Um, oh well, I mean, I worked with Jim Jarmish. He's really nice. Oh, lovely, lovely. He's like what's, the what's sweetest. He like to hang out with. He's the sweetest, nicest guy. Really talented. Likes to shoot the shit. Talk about art, you know. Mm -hmm. And you know, oh, I worked on that Stooges documentary with him, which is mm -hmm. awesome. And it was, it's a really good movie. And nobody was cruel to anybody. We were just, <laughs> <laughs> we just made this cool movie and had a great time doing it. Like, love to hear it. Love to hear it. Yeah, I just like. I mean, it really, it seems like this, like, kind of abuse that Scott Rudin unleashed on his assistants had really long-lasting, you know, trauma. Like, some of them experienced PTSD. Like, he treated white male gay assistants a lot better than he treated women mm. um, or people of color, you know, that worked in his office. And it's just, like, one of his assistants, like, started developing mental health problems while he worked with for Scott and then according to his twin brother who put out this really devastating video took his own life like wow. years later as these kind of like problems kind of compounded but yeah and it's like what has Scott Rudin done that is justifies that you know yeah like what <laughs> yeah like, like which, what Aaron Sorkin production of um you know right. to kill a mockingbird is worth <laughs> you know worth <laughs> I, if that never happened, I'm sure everybody would still be fine. Yeah. There was a great article that came out at Vulture this week where, like, former assistants, like, a, over, like, 30 former assistants just came out and told their stories. 
And it was interesting to see like how much the talent knew about like this person's behavior, you know, when they mm. came into the office, like one shared a pretty poignant um, anecdote about Chris Rock kind of coming through the office. I think it was for top five um, Scott Rudin was producing. And he, when he walks through, he, Chris Rock just says to everyone, you can relax. I know he beats the shit out of you all day. Wow. They yeah. just, they just knew at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause and, yeah, I do. Cause I, I want to say there was like a sketch on some show years mm-hmm. ago that was like making fun of this sort of, or well, like, I mean, I mean, this trope was played for laughs and um entourage. Like, you know, Oh yeah. I mean, you have like um the um Ari Gold's characters based off Ari Emanuel, the, um you know, the powerful super agent, mm-hmm. um you know, in Hollywood, Rahm Emanuel's brother. And it's just played for laughs of like just saying homophobic things and bullying and throwing things at your assistant. It's what, that's just like what powerful people do. Yeah. And I, I like, I mean, I don't know. I guess I really hope that that paradigm is changing because of things like this. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like, uh, I, I mean, I've certainly felt it in the film world and working in production that mm-hmm. from when I started at like ABC News in 2006, there was more of that attitude of like, if you screw up, you're fired. It's your last day at work. So don't like fuck up and, you know. And when you're scared and nervous, like you're going to fuck up. That's just like you make mistakes when you're in that state. Mm-hmm. Like when your hands are shaking, you're going to misdial the phone. Like- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what now I find that like, and maybe this is just that, I mean, that was like just that aspect of, of production that was like that. But since I've moved on, I've just only found like better and better sets to be on that's and better awesome. and better people to work with. And maybe that's just because I'm picky too, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like, as younger and younger people get into the business, the business feels better. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, like you think there's like a generational shift. Yeah, like the younger generation is not like that. The generation that was older than me, where it was just like, oh, the newbies here. You know, <laughs> well, you know, roll this cable, newbie kind of attitude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like I would never, like I would never want to do that to somebody on set. And now, like. I don't think I've seen that in years where they're like people are just straight out hazing somebody. Yeah. Someone like I was, I mean, someone I know that works has like written for sitcoms for like years, like since the nineties was telling me how there's this kind of culture of showrunners, like back in the day of like just kind of being really sadistic towards um like PA, like the um production assistants. And there's usually these dares of getting them to do like humiliating things for a hundred dollars because like, Hey, the PA's broke. They'll take a, you know, like, yeah, a hundred dollars is great. And like the show, this culture of showrunners being like, Hey, eat this whole jar of mayonnaise, do this, do that, you know, for my amusement for this like broke kid that's just trying to start their career. <laughs> I definitely have run across showrunners like that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but very few. So I'm like happy to not work with mostly with people like that. But yeah, uh, that's, that's good. That's good. But you get sort of the megalomaniac showrunner is a true thing in like reality television too. Like they can yeah. be like, cause it's a, that's like oh, a yeah. really fast paced kind of high energy long days thing. So people like work 
work and party really hard, you know, in, in reality television. Yeah. Yeah. So it oh, can get, interesting. yeah. So it can get pretty crazy because it's a lot of like, you know, mostly younger people can do that, live that life. Cause you go yeah. three months somewhere, you shoot whatever, five, six days a week, 12 hours a day. And then people just go out and like party. So you can get crazy because mm-hmm. it's only three months and then you come back and you don't work a month and you just chill. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is there anything like, I don't know how much you can say, but like, is there, like what's the craziest thing you've seen like a reality TV show runner do or. Mm, I, I don't know. It almost is. I think it's almost more <laughs> salacious for me to say, I don't want to say. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to say. So you've seen some shit is what you're, yeah. what you're telling yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'll tell you later. Okay, great. Off my oh man, maybe this will come out in the DVD extras in twenty years of our yeah. you know, of our podcast. Three things. Dun dun dun. Off mic. Yeah. <laughs> After dark. <laughs> Behind the Zoom screen. <laughs> my side of the desk. <laughs> um. So, is there anything else you want to say? This is we 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 did this. We did it. We had a full fucking episode. Yeah, felt good. Like that, it was it was tasty. Like um, those that chicken tinga taco I made tonight, <laughs> with avocado sauce that my kid liked. <laughs> All right, so we should we take ourselves out? We uh, how to want to start the outro? Yeah, as usually, you can find me anywhere at Michael Gugino, whatever. You can find me at Maggie Sirota on Twitter, where I am wasting my life. I am spending probably eleven out of. 24 hours a day there so come find me and harass me <laughs> uh, if you like the show please 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 review le- you know leave a star rating share tell your friend yeah. tell your pets tell your mom yeah send us dad. a casserole T- tell like maybe <laughs> one of your former stepdads you don't talk to anymore um you know maybe a nice little way to get back together with dennis you know to get back in touch <laughs> with dennis and tell him about the show he might like it yeah he might like it he tell seems to- like he seems like a guy who would. That seems very Dennis. Uh, tell him to watch For All Mankind, too. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm working for it, Ronnie. Ronald D. Moore. <laughs> At me. <laughs> All right. So this is another one in the books, Mike. Another one in the books. See you next time when we have... You're in for surprise. You're in for a shock. In London town streets. When there's darkness and fun. When you least expect me. And you turn your back. I'll Network.